Welcome to Family Financial Views from the University of Illinois Extension. Welcome, everyone. We are so happy to have you on with us today. My name is Kamaya Wallace-Bichard, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kathy Sweedler, and we're educators with University of Illinois Extension. And today we have a wonderful topic for you. What's our topic for today, Kathy? Well, I thought today we could talk about um, the implications of living in a multi-generational household. Kind of what does that mean and what does it look like and how does that affect our finances? Yes. And, you know, before we started recording, Kathy and I, we were just having like a conversation about like our um, experiences with this, like how we grew up. And just to share a little bit about like my background. So I grew up um, in Jamaica, rural Jamaica, um, in a multi-generational household. So my entire childhood was spent um, in that type of um, living arrangement where I lived with my parents, my grandma, and my siblings. And so I had like so many experiences from that and I know like throughout like this podcast throughout this episode we're going to talk a lot about too about like the cultural aspects of it Um, and we'll try our best to honor a lot of that because we will be talking from a U.S. perspective. Yes and I did not grow up in a multi-generational household although my grandparents on both sides lived within just a few miles of us and we were they were over at our house quite a bit and we were at their place which was a wonderful way to grow up and I was also talking about the fact that really at the time I was growing up while I you know people college students didn't move home for the summer often and things it, it more likely once you graduated from college, you moved into your own housing, mm-hmm. I think. Um, where, as we're going to talk going forward, we are seeing um, more young adults who are living in multi-generational households than back in the 70s, 80s. So, But, you know, with one of the things that Kamai and I both want to talk about is there's not necessarily, uh, there isn't a right way it's just that it's one of those things maybe to think about to see mm-hmm. where it would fit into your life and what are some of the implications that you might want to think about. Absolutely. And even starting off too, like in honoring our um, podcast um, title, like, you know, what's the feud? Like, how can we look and examine like these type of arrangements and where we'll see some of like the benefits and maybe some of the drawbacks of this? And starting out, we would definitely like to define what a multi-generational household is, because for a lot of people, they hear this term and it's thrown around a lot. So, Kathy, tell us a little bit about what a multi-generational household is. Well, I thought it would be a simple matter of just, you know, I could look up a definition and quote it, but it turns <laughs> out that different researchers and different government agencies have slightly different, you know, definitions of it. Usually when they're talking about multi-generational households, they're not thinking, though, of sort of your traditional house with, you know, adult parents and little kids, okay? Mm-hmm. So usually they're talking about you know, multiple generations of adults. And I think for today's conversation, we're just going to kind of simplify it and talk about, focus on households that have two or more generations of adults living Mm -hmm. in the same residence and go from there. So I leave it up to all our listeners. If they want to learn out more about it, they can check out what the Pew Research Center says or the U.S. Census Bureau. But for us, that's our definition. Yes, and I love it. It's it's nice and it's simple and it gets us to where we're trying to go with like this episode. So wonderful. 
So talking more about like what this actually means and exploring like what situations will cause for a lot of us to um, move towards that, to move towards like living in a multi-generational household. There are a number of things that might influence that, right, Kathy? There are. And it's really, for me, really quite interesting when you start looking at this phenomena and digging down into what it's been like in the U.S., mm-hmm. you know, going back in history even, and then what are the influences we're seeing today. So just to put some perspective, you know, back in 1950, which is a while ago, but <laughs> so long ago, mm-hmm. um, you know, 21% of Americans lived in a multi-generational household. So at that time, one out of five people was experiencing that. But then we really did see between then and the 1980s, the share of individuals living in multi-generational homes fell to around 12%. So during that time period, for example, where I was becoming independent, we were really seeing less and less people in these, you know, more than, you know, more generations than one in a household. Mm -hmm. So, but, you know, so that's, I think, you know, pretty interesting. But when you look at it, what, one of the things that was driving that was that more elderly unmarried women ended up living alone. Mm. So, you know, because of things like work-related retirement plans and the expansion of Social Security, essentially, you know, women that were living longer had the option of not living with their children. <laughs> you know, and a lot of people have... might choose that, right? That's right. Might choose that. Right. So mm-hmm. it's not unusual when we see the economy get better, whether it's on a broad sense or an individual household sense, that mm-hmm. people choose to move away from relatives. <laughs> yes. And so it, at that time, we really saw um, a share, you know, dropping from kind of a peak where 60% of elderly women were living with their children down to 20%. That's just one, you know, example of when it's it makes economic sense for people to join households and that is when somebody's in that retirement stage, older stage where they don't have enough money to have their own household. Right. And you know, this got me thinking too a little bit more about what might be going through like some of our listeners' minds. Um, You know, as we talk about this and we say that there's not one way to like go about like this type of arrangement, but for some people listening, they are probably like, what are you guys talking about? I could never really see myself like in my older age, like living with my children or anything like that. How would we um, explore a little bit more into this topic and just have people like think a little bit broadly about like just this overall kind of phenomenon with like living with multiple generations. Well, I think that's an interesting thing. And as you were saying that, I was saying we could also have people who are like, what do you mean I wouldn't be living with my children? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, too. So it could go both ways depending Mm -hmm. on your experiences and your expectations, right? So, you know, and I think... Uh, you know, I think a lot of people are thinking, oh, they'll be able to have enough to retire or they'll maybe go into assisted living when they need it. But that can get pretty expensive. Yes, um, And so I think sometimes families are kind of faced with the fact that, you know, assisted living may not be affordable for everybody. Mm-hmm. And so that then they have to look at other options that are out there. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And even like when we think about, like I mentioned in the beginning, that we are looking at this within the context of the U.S. But, um, you know, Kathy and I were talking about this, like within other cultures, how different it is. And while we in the U.S., a lot of us, not everyone might look at it and say, oh, yeah, that just seems like, you know, I turn 18 and I want to leave home and I just want to have like my own independence outside of uh, my extended family. In some cultures, it's not like that, is it? No, I think that, again, we have to keep in mind, everybody comes with their own family history and what it's like. So yeah. one of the reasons that we are seeing more people living together um, in the U.S. is that we're becoming, you know, even more racially and ethnically diverse. Mm -hmm. And so and when you dig down into the numbers, um, cultures such as Asians and Hispanic families and foreign-born Americans are more likely than Caucasians to live in multi-generational family households, whether that's fully about economics or traditions yes. or culture or a combination, most likely. That is where the numbers fall at this point in time. Yes, absolutely. And I see it like even, even within my own extended family where even if they're not living in the same place, um, like the same household, mm -hmm. they do live very closely to each other because of that cultural connection and the connection that they've had um, throughout their lives with wanting to be closer to family, um, you know, say if somebody gets um, sick or they're going through like different life circumstances, situations that they can be there to help out with different things. And, you know, as you're saying that, Kamaya, I was thinking about something else, too, which is, you know, I think one of the things that um, if people stop and think and think about their family context and extended family and friends, you know, when we say live in a multi-generational household, that doesn't mean you do it your whole life. Right. It may be one of those phases, you know, those stages mm -hmm. of life when when there's a need, it happens. So, you know, certainly I know many people now who are considering where they want to retire based on where their older parents are and how will they help them or be able to help them as they age. And so, yeah. or, or if they don't have older parents, they're thinking about where are their children and their mm -hmm. grandchildren living and can they go help with babysitting and things like that, the childcare piece. So, you know, they may end up sharing households to do these caregiving things on both ends of the spectrum, but that's not their whole life, right? No, They've it's not. They've also been living, you know, not in multi-generational households, too. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was talking to friends, too, and they were mentioned in a similar situation where it was parents wanting to move closer to them so that they could be um, there to help with, like, their grandchildren because they're at a point in their life where they could um, afford to do that move and they wanted to make sure that they were staying connected to their children and grandchildren. Wonderful. Right. right. Yeah. Which doesn't always mean into the same house. Yes. But, <laughs> but it could be, especially depending on what part of the country and the cost of living and things. So, yeah. All right, so let's move on to like some of the other pieces that we really did want to talk about. And, you know, we've been talking about whether it's the older parents moving in with like their adult children or um, lots of different things that we've been talking about. But what about um, younger folks now? So maybe like those who are, are emerging adults or young adults who might be um, moving back home. 
Well, there you got it, right? That's the news headline that we always hear about. <laughs> yes. You know, those boomerang young people. And it's often said in a not very nice way, I feel like. Maybe, you know, mm-hmm. like there's a problem here or something. And I, I guess I'd like everybody to stop and think about that for a bit. Um, yeah. You know, is there a problem or is there maybe more <laughs> to the story than we're seeing? And more to the story than the media is kind of highlighting because right. I think there's a piece in there like, well, they're moving back in and they're not doing anything. <laughs> and I don't think that's really the whole story. No. Um, so, you know, what what do you think about it? What are the reasons that are driving people to young people to move, you know, to, to continue mm-hmm. living in their parents' household? Yeah. And, you know, I, there's a number of reasons. We were both Kathy and I read like this very casual article. It was a very cool article that we read too. And for some young people moving back home, you know, it could be for a number of reasons. So we're looking now to see at what life was like in the past versus how people are making like decisions now about where they go from here. So for a lot of young people, whether they're getting out of college and looking into what the future holds for them career-wise or if they're in like partnerships with other people and what makes sense for them presently. So does it make sense to go into like a home ownership while you're trying to figure out like other things that's going on, other things that are going on in your life or does it make sense to make arrangement with like your parents so that you are with them for a period of time. So just like you said, Kathy, too, like a lot of times it's not they're not living with their parents for years on top of years or with family members for years on top of years. Sometimes it's a situational. It's based on where they are and what they're trying to figure out with like their lives. Yes. But even, you know, all that said, you know, that the statistic in 2014, um, living with their parents became the most common young adult defined as 18 to 34 years old living Mm -hmm. arrangement. So for 18 to 34 year olds, 34% lived with their parents, 32% were married or cohabitating in their own household, 14% lived alone, and 22% had other living arrangements. And I just also wonder how, you know, if part of this is trying to avoid debt um, and, you know, looking at the cost of housing compared to incomes when you're really just getting started. Absolutely. And that, you know, even going to a personal example, I remember when I was in college and right after college, like trying to figure out like what my living arrangement was going to be. I had an amazing aunt and uncle who would step who did step in for me so that I didn't have to think a lot too much about like housing and all the other expenses that um, I didn't need to worry about too much while I was um, living with them. Yes. And you know what? It's just such a wonderful gift when that you can have that situation, I feel like. Yes. So, and then of course people are getting married later too. Yes. Right? So that's a big one. Yeah. The typical age at first marriage, I guess is around 27 years old for women and 29 years for men. That's, you know, mm-hmm. and compared to 20 years for women and 22 and a half years for men in 1956. So, you know, if you're if you're still single, uh, it might be that that's also just a very comfortable place for you to stay. 
Absolutely. For a lot of people, they're making these decisions based on those situational, those those situations, based on like these factors that are going to make sense to them. And I've talked to um, young adults too, who their parents are open to the idea that, oh yes, they're working now, trying to save money um, to take care of things that they need. And they make arrangement with them in like the type of bills that they pay and what they pay and how they pay those things. So for, we hear a lot in the media, media about, oh, you just going back to live with your parents. But I think too, like emphasizing the fact that this could also include a lot of people who are working full-time, who are trying to um, save up to pay off like student loans, to pay off credit cards and to save for their futures. That's right. And they may also be helping out in the family in other ways that we don't see a dollar exchange, perhaps if they're paying, you know, if they're not paying rent or something, but maybe they're helping out with um, labor, with chores, with caregiving yeah. of older adults, you know, a lot of other things that may be going into that piece for the family that affects that decision. Absolutely. Wonderful. This has been such a great conversation, Kathy. Um, it's like one of those things that we do see li little bits of things about here, but like having like a whole discussion on this is something that I know you and I have been looking forward to. Well, I just think it's really an interesting topic because I'm, it's just, you know, I think everybody, again, of course, comes from their own cultural perspective and things, mm -hmm. but I'm, you know, been really getting into genealogy and looking back on history Ooh. and things. Yes. You know, people live together. <laughs> <laughs> they did. You know, there would be, you know, whether I look at, you know, relatives in the inner city of Chicago or Berlin, you know, they're, they might all be in one house that's been broken up into apartments, sort of, but they're they're close together mm -hmm. and so I wonder you know if we're just sort of in a time period where this is actually you know kind of going back to the norm rather than just such a strange thing but yeah. you know that's kind of my perspective on it and the way why I think it's a, just such an interesting topic yeah and, you know, as you were talking about that, too, um, something came to mind where, you know, depending on family situation, because there's a lot of in a lot of families, there are distress situations or negative situations. So for some people like wanting to have um, independence and freedom away from um, some of the challenges that they probably have with their families um, is one way that for some people they do want to go out on their own and do other things. But within the context of like this multi-generational topic, this multi-generational household piece, you know, learning about how people see themselves not only within the context of their families, but also within like their own personal values and the things that um, matters to them as they get older. Because I think it, it does change over time. You might be an 18, 19 year old and you do want to go out and have like your own experiences. And then, um, you know, a few years later wanting to maybe live with parents or grandparents so that you can save for your future. Yes, and I think um, that's an excellent point and maybe also one of those one of those factors that as people start thinking about, you know, moving in, it, let's say that they're not currently in a multi-generational household, but family members are thinking of joining households. I think there's some things that people can think about, think about their values and what the pros and cons are, and maybe do a little bit around planning or having conversations on some of these sticky points. Yes. And certainly financial, I mean, certainly independence is 
and privacy are one of those sticky points. <laughs> it is. And I think, you know, because we've looked at both um, older adults moving back with their adult parents and then young adults moving back with their parents. So in both those situations, in all those situations, like independence and privacy comes into play. It really does. And as people get older too, like losing autonomy, whether it comes to driving and other things that you really do not want to give up. So in your opinion, Kathy, in situations like this where um, within like a household, they might, older adults might agree that, yes, this is good. This is something that we should be doing um, with their adult children. But they're also worried about what what freedoms might they lose from this type of arrangement. Yeah. So any so, comments on that? Yeah. So I have some <laughs> personal experience with young adults moving in and living in our household. And I'd say overall it's been very positive. But I, but we, I think we were all pretty cognizant that this was going to be a transition that we had to kind of work right. on it, and we, um, we had to go back and forth. Different sons have moved in at different times, but so with each of them about where are our personal boundaries on this, and both they mm-hmm. had to think about it, and my husband and I had to think about it. So you know, what could I, where, what was really important to me. And what could I let go in my household? Mm -hmm. And then from their perspective, you know, really how to maintain that privacy and independence and to feel good about themselves while, you know, in that whole sense without, you know, mommy asking them, you know, all the time about where they were going. (laughs) Right. So, you know, in a casual conversation, (laughs) like, oh, where are you going? Could be (laughs) taken as, you know. I I don't need to tell you where I'm going. I am now, you know, not under 18. So, (laughs) you know, we had to go back and forth on that. It took a little while to get to a comfortable place. But by Mm -hmm. being open about it and really trying, you know, starting out the whole situation saying we need to be open. We need to be able to have conversations about this. And we need to, I want you to know that if, if you're living home, that these are the things that we expect. And can you live with those? Is this going to yeah. work out? And and then being open to that going back and forth. But it is definitely a transition. Yeah, and it goes back to one of your earlier points, too, like having those conversations to see if this is something that you all want to get be a part of because it is a big decision and a big part of like this episode is to highlight that Um, even though people can look into all the different options they do have even if you do say yes this is the best option right now um, whether it's personally or economically this is the best option but also looking at what are some of the things that might be seen as the drawbacks for you and having the conversation with like your family members about those things. And I think one of the things that could help in some situations, but not always, of course, Um, for example, um, one of my sons asked if he could move back in because he wanted to start his own business, which meant stopping a job to start a business. Mm -hmm. And he said, I've thought about it and I think it'll take me about a year to really get, you know, enough business going that I can be financially independent again. Um, is that any, and he asked us, is that reasonable? Can I move back in for a year? And having a time frame on yes. it, I think did help us. Now, mm-hmm. would we have held them, you know, if it had taken them 18 months instead of 12 months, would we have held them <laughs> to it? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But it, it did kind of set it up as he had thought about it. This was the plan. Yeah. Sure enough, you know, he was out right about, I mean, a little under 12 months. I think, you know, again, treating it like adults, 
and, mm-hmm. and thinking through that way so there aren't just assumptions happening and you're not just, you know, dealing with different assumptions that might end up conflicting can make a big difference. Yes, absolutely. Excellent points. Wonderful. So let's move on a little bit um, into sort of like the financial implications of this. So we've been talking a lot about, you know, what your values are, what your family's values are, looking at some of the research and statistics behind a multi-generational household arrangements. But what are some of like the financial implications as we think about like what are the pros and cons of um, going into these types of arrangements? I think we've been covering some of the savings pretty well. We've talked about helping raising children, caring for aging parents, or maybe somebody else who's sick in the household or having some challenges. Um, And, you know, and and then you also mentioned people kicking in and helping with some of the fixed costs, like Mm -hmm. rent or utilities or food, whatever the household and family members decide. You know, dividing those things can really make a difference and may mean that, an older adult can stay in their house longer or something like that, too. So mm-hmm. I think anything else about cost savings that we need to talk about there? You know, and yeah. I, I think, too, even for older adults, as they're entering or into retirement, like having an idea of what their retirement is going to look like, where they're going to have, like, the money coming in um, and how – their arrangement for like their retirement is going to affect the living arrangement that they may have with their adult children. I think that's one thing that I was thinking about. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. And again, we know that those are hard decisions. Yes. Um, It's really hard for those kinds of transitions. But sometimes when you can sit down Let's say you're the older person and sit down with your adult children or have separate conversations. It could be that people can help out in different ways. Mm -hmm. So some people might have time that they can help out. Some people might have housing space that you could live in. And other people might have money that they can help financially, but not so much the other things. So Mm -hmm. sometimes I know families have been able to kind of put together a good package, even though, you know, no one person had all the pieces to it. Yes, absolutely. So I know we talked about like one of the cons too is the independence piece, right? So maybe losing a little bit of like that autonomy that you have. So here is one point that you and I discussed previously that could be both a pro and con. So it's that one about when we think about like the risk of financial exploitation and how that might increase as people get older and you have like scammers who do target older population and try to exploit them and a lot of people lose in some of times their entire like retirement um, savings. So do you want to talk a little bit about what that's like, like the pros and cons of that? Well, I think what you're just saying, um, you know, makes a lot of sense. If you, what we know is that um, when people are older, sometimes they get isolated if they're living alone and that can make them more vulnerable to fraud, especially large dollar fraud. So it's possible that if they were living with other family members that, you know, people would just be more aware of what's going on and they might be able to, you know, put a stop to it before too much money is lost. Interesting enough, young people have fraud happen to them more often, but it isn't as many dollars. 
Yes. So they're kind of like different things. So in another way, you know, if you had grandparent and a grandchild, like a grandchild that was an adult, living together, they could protect each other because sometimes, <laughs> you know, the young adult just hasn't seen that particular scam go by, but the grandparent might have seen it many a time <laughs> and be able to say, well, that one looks like we should slow down and think about that a little more. I think yeah. what we really do know about financial fraud, one of the key pieces is keeping people connected so that mm-hmm. they can kind of run this idea by somebody else. Does this make sense to you before I invest money or wire money or, you know, respond to this scam? Yes, absolutely. And I mentioned to Kathy that I was listening to this amazing episode from the marketplace um, on NPR, and they just explored what were some of the major implications of exploitations on individuals and their families, and look a little bit at like brain research and brain health research and connect it to that. So that's like a, a great um way that you can learn more about that piece too when it comes to like financial fraud and how that might apply to people who are in multi-generational households. Yeah, it sounds like I got to tune in and listen to that one. Yeah, it's you wonderful. Know, <laughs> when we were talking, I'm thinking about cons. Um, you know, I thought of a couple other things that I think um, we might need to mention. So I think that there is, you know, an expectation of at this point in time in many households that when somebody reaches their 50s or 60s that they're going to be empty nesters and that that will give them a chance to either consider downsizing and saving some money for retirement or lowering lowering costs in the household because there'll be less utilities, less food, and again putting that away for retirement. And if there are um, family members moving into their household at a time they thought they were going to be empty nesters, whether it's older or younger or grandchildren mm-hmm. or whatever, um, that may be affecting their retirement plans. And mm-hmm. it may not really, they may not think about it that way, but they might mm-hmm. be just, might be a good idea to stop and think about it that way and to think what changes do they need to be making so that they can still get to the place where they want to be when they want to retire. Yes, absolutely. It's an excellent point. All right, so we've been having like this awesome discussion and I hope that our listeners have lots of thoughts and try to learn more about like this topic because for a lot of us, we might think that, oh, this is a direction that we're going to go as we get older, right? But lots of changes happens, um, lots of economic and situational changes that happens that influence like our living arrangement. And so this is one of the many reasons why I really do love this topic. Yeah, and I think now everybody should do kind of a little reality check and kind of mm-hmm. try to imagine themselves like, what would it be like to live with your parents right now? What would it be like to live with your grandparents if they're still alive or with an in-law or with an adult child, maybe <laughs> a nephew or a niece, you know, that's an adult. So kind of do that little reality check and, and th- see how does that feel when you try it on and what are your concerns? Yes. What might be the benefits? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think I'm going to be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, one thing we do know about life is it changes. So, again, Mm -hmm. not everybody is going to be in a multi-generational household all their life, and maybe Mm -hmm. not at all. But things do change, and sometimes circumstances make this something worth considering. Absolutely. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Cassia. This has been just a wonderful discussion. Thank you, Kamaya. I always add so many great insights, and I appreciate it. (laughs) 
Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for listening to Family Financial Feuds. If you'd like to learn more about the educators, Extension in Illinois, or just personal finance in general, you can check us out on the web at www.retirewell.illinois.edu.